Um, I know that nobody listens to this podcast because they're fans of incredible production value, but we still, um, I still feel like we should apologize. Last week's episode, there was some really weird crackly interference going on. This week, we can't get the mics to connect properly. Um, the kind of amateurish gear we're using is, it sucks. Um, so, but, but hopefully the amazing content makes up for our lack of technological savvy. It sounds like this week we'll both just be kind of quiet. So hopefully you can just turn up the volume a little bit and we sound the same and there's no interference. But like last week I was super loud and Dan was super quiet and like, yeah. So we're going to work through that. If this sounds absolutely awful, I promise it's a banger of an episode. You still want to listen, but just like forgive us while we try to work through this. Um, Yeah. So... I would say, first of all, just to start out, I was just thinking the other day of just how grateful I am for everyone that makes Maybird possible. And, you know, for for all this, you know, I just want everyone to take a moment and look at your jerseys and look at all the business owners and, and that have contributed to make this possible. Um, I, I just I'm so grateful because that we, we really we absolutely could not do it without our sponsors. So um, thanks to everyone who has sponsored Maybird and, and has helped contribute with, you know, we've just got some people that have been just super generous. I mean, um, Carla Reyes has like her son hasn't ridden with Maybird for probably Since 2018. I want to say, you know, and she continu- continues to contribute every single season. And she was our first sponsor. That's yep. kind of why the name is included in our. She's still the title and, sponsor, and she c- continues to help out. And but, but thanks to everybody, and um, you know, it's something we're gonna start um, here soon. We're gonna start looking for sponsors for next year. So if it's you know if it's something that you're able to do and continue to do and and so forth, we really appreciate that. And and really quick, Dan, I have had people ask me before, like what. What does this team need money for? If you give five hundred dollars to this team as a sponsor, what is that money going towards? You know, a, a lot of well, well, we are at like okay. So with your Nike teams, you know, Nike teams have their team fees. A lot of the teams have like like the Skyline team does like a big huge fundraiser. Like we sell the oranges, which brings in a lot of money for the team. Um, you know, but one of our biggest expenses is the coaches' kits. Like each we have probably like, gosh, um, probably like 50 or 60 coaches kits that we send out to different coaches. That's a huge expense. Um, we're at like, we're at all, like a lot of the national races, all the I cup races, you know, we offer support at those that costs a lot, a lot of the travel and so forth. Um, so yeah, I mean, nobody on this team really gets paid. Um, but it does, it does take money to do it. And that's something I can't come up with on my own. So I do really appreciate everyone that's, that's helped out and, and, and sponsored us. So, yeah. So if, if you or your business uh, have the ability to, to help us out, we'd really appreciate it. You know, um, the team fees, like team fees aren't, don't cover this well, stuff. Right. And, and that's always been a huge priority for Maybird is because there's, there's some of these development teams that are, it's not uncommon for a development team to be $10,000 a year. Yeah, there's, like five digits per kid. Yeah, there's there's some that are, there was one that was $20,000 a year. There's Who's charging 20? 
they're they're not around anymore but um oh okay okay yeah the oda was was twenty thousand dollars a semester from are you serious but wow okay yeah, all right you know. well so guess i gotta go crack open my swiss tax shelter to pay for my kids mountain biking now huh yeah people do it but, holy smokes but okay. you know um a priority of neighbor has always been that you know we want it to be I mean, it has to cost money. We can't really do it for free. I mean, yeah, this, this, this and, yeah. and honestly, like if you do things for free, sometimes people don't take it seriously. So, yeah, I mean, charging a team fee like puts a little bit of skin in the game, but it, it's really like like the people that have sponsored and helped support our team that that kind of keeps those fees low. And and so you know, you don't have to be filthy rich to to be able to ride with us. You know, you just have to be upper middle class. Like, yeah, I was gonna say it's <laughs> it's it's still progress. But, but yeah, like everything that everyone does for this team, whether it's your time, your money, it's 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 appreciated and it's making an impact too. So yeah. um, if if you have if if you or your business have the ability to send us a few bucks next year, like we'll we'll throw you on we'll throw you on the jersey, you'll get on the coach's kit, maybe on the bibs, um, depending on how many sponsors we have. Um, but yeah, it's it's very very appreciated and uh, uh, yeah, makes a really good impact on this community. Yeah. So yesterday I had a lot of fun. We, um, cause all of you know, I'm, I'm a, an advocate of the, uh, the endurance pre-rides. I think they're just, yeah, we talked about that last week. Yeah. We've talked about those before. Um, so I went out with a group of, a group of riders out to, um, Manti yesterday. I've never ridden out in Manti before. Never, where is Manti? I've never been to Manti. It's kind of like by Ephraim and Moroni and it's not helping. It's, you know, it's it they're kind of cool areas. They're like I don't know where Ephraim or Moroni. They're are like either. actually like legit farmers out there, not like fake Park City farmers and stuff. You know, right? But, yeah, it's uh, it's not like a Wall Street guy who's decided to lead the simpler life and buy a fifty million dollar estate where he yeah you know yeah has a few farming toys. No, it's it's pretty cool out there. Um, one of the most fun courses I've ever ridden. It's really, you know, I, I'll say the scene. I mean, it was by a, it's by a, like a reservoir, which was kind of cool, but the scenery is not too spectacular. It was very Nike esque scenery. Um, yep. but the thing that was, there were a lot of people there and about 95% of them were in Maybird kits. That's pretty cool. So, you know, not a whole lot, like a very small handful of other kits were out there. So, Really good turnout by Maybird riders to that pre-ride, especially um, where no one's gonna have a home court advantage there. I mean, how many? And help me, out, I don't know where is Manti in Utah. It's kind of like on the way to Price, but then you kind of head south a little bit. So, so the middle of nowhere. It kind of, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Or is it, is there a Nike team out there? Yeah. Is there a Manti team or is it a Devo team that encompasses the Price? Area no, I, I think that yeah, I think there is because I think that's who built the trail out there. Wow. Good for and, them. And man. it's honestly wow. one of the most fun trips. Like, I had, we rode for, we rode it for about three and a half to almost four hours. Did like six or seven, some kids probably did eight laps on it. And um, it was so much fun. It was super fast. Like, they had some like berms that you'd swear Gravity Logic came out and made them. Like, it was. Trails don't have to be in cool places to be good trails. And on the flip side, there's some really cool places where the trail sucks. So. Um, props to the Manti people. Yeah. And really quick, I'm looking. 
at our sound waves on our recording app. This probably sounds so bad, but just like, just don't worry about it. Just don't worry for it. Yeah, we'll have it fixed. By yeah, next week, turn but. your car stereo up and down as you need to, and yeah, just we'll we'll figure it out by next week maybe. Okay. So um, the, the the funny thing is is like yesterday. So the night before this pre ride that we had our family had like our kind of our annual fall party where we had like pizza and donuts and I ate so much food and I was like super carved up. I felt awesome at this pre-ride. Yeah. Like I could not get myself tired. I was oh, like, yeah, I was like, yeah, there is a, yeah. Fueling up for events is, is a thing. Well, and then yesterday I went and climbed Widowmaker up to the top of Snowbird and like I got up to the top. I was like, I haven't eaten in two hours. I've been climbing for two hours and I still feel pretty topped off. Like, you know, um, fueling, man. Yeah. It was just kind of a, a confirmation that yeah, fueling is, is, is legit. Yep. So yeah. Eat the night we, before. Eat, eat, eat the morning eat, of don't be eat eating. the eat start eating a few days before if, like if eating in the morning makes you feel sick then feel sick Have, no no well, I, I would say i would say that the 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 food you eat leading up to an event like maybe the the thursday friday before is almost almost more important than the breakfast itself still don't skip breakfast before you race that's yeah, not a good just, idea just don't ever make yourself sick you know yeah. um but yeah there's a um uh Another thing I was kind of thinking about too is a lot of kids are, there's a lot of colds going around. Yeah. COVID's um, going around too. Yeah. You know, just, just be careful. Wash your hands. Don't get too close to people. Um, but I was, you know, if you do have a cold, um, you can still train, but keep it low intensity. If you know, it's the neck up rule, you know, if you're sniffling and sneezing and, if you've got like a fever or feel icky, then you just want to rest. You want, you don't, but if you do have a cold in your training, avoid like high intensity training, just keep it zone two or below. Just keep, you know, just a um, shout out to anybody who's like Nike Joe. This isn't a willpower question. This is like a practicality question. Like exercising too hard when you're sick hurts you. It's not, well, just it just it's makes unpleasant. you sick longer. Yeah. Like don't you do know, that. If you're sick, what's going to get you better is sleep. Yes. Yes. And, and health and like nutritious foods. Oh know? my gosh. Yeah. But, um, yeah, not the time to do high in intensity intervals. If you've got, yeah, if, if you're, you're sick, your goal is to get unsick as fast as exactly. possible. Yeah. yeah. Training too hard while you're sick just makes you sick longer. Doesn't, so. doesn't mean you've got great willpower and that you can push through it. Like don't, don't do that. Um, another thing I wanted to bring up is uh, we wanted to do a new section and I, I can't remember what he was going to call it, but Miles wanted to give us advice every week. Oh, okay. And he hasn't sent it to me this week, but I, I did, he did, I overheard him giving advice to another kid that I just wanted to pass along. Okay. And, um, and his advice was, and I just thought this would be kind of a fun segment because Mike Miles always has really interesting advice. So this time his advice was it's, it's too late in the season to do an FTP test. So what you do is you ride as hard as you can for 30 seconds. Okay. And if you feel like you could probably keep going, that's your new FTP. My, Miles should write a book, man. Yeah. I thought that was great advice. Fantastic <laughs> advice. His, his, I'm sure his contract as an Olympic coach is forthcoming. Um, yeah, I, I absolutely think this should. I, I endorse this being a recurring segment. I know. I, 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 I'm always because I love hearing the advice he gives to, to people. It's really quite, 
fun. Um, but yeah, like I guess in Nike news, we had a couple Nike races yesterday. Like I think, let's see, it was Soldier Hollow and Manaway. Oh, people still race. I think, yeah, I did see some people still yeah. racing at Manaway. Um, I know Elijah White, I think he got like second or third. He's, Holy he's been killing it. And Ansley Haas, um, she won again. I think she's just... Remember that name, guys. Yeah. Write that one down. She's the one with the bionic arm. So yep. she's been riding with like a, an elbow injury all season. And she's got this like massive brace that she has to wear. But And it's probably not very aerodynamic, but she... Yeah, I was going to say. It's probably she, not light either, huh? <laughs> but she continues to win with it. So I think it actually looks really cool. But Dang, that must be intimidating to like pull up on the line and you've got like, you know... Um, and this is a winning streak for she's got going right. I, I think she keeps getting first, but I, I I'd have it's, to look again, back. But yeah, there's too many of you to follow closely. The days when this was an 18 person team are long gone. Um, but yeah, fantastic. Yeah. That's really so, awesome. Remember way to go, everyone that raced Nike this past weekend. Um, thanks to everyone that came out to that that my endurance pre ride. Um, I thought it was I just had so much fun. It was just such a fun day for me. And that's kind of all the news and stuff I have. Cycling world news was light this week. European road championships. I don't think anybody really cares much about that. There is one thing I'd throw out. There were some pictures going around of a um, a, a Swiss rider. Oh, named, the guy that crashed. Named all... Stefan Kung, who was doing the European uh, uh, championship time trial race. Had a really bad crash. Banged himself up. His helmet was destroyed. Like, re, like visibly his helmet was in pieces. Um, covered in blood. Uh, finished the race, props to him for toughness, but there was a really interesting post by former American pro Phil Guyman, where he's like, props to this guy, this guy's super tough, but like, that's not necessarily something you, you should do. And this guy was probably in the moment, panic, just get back on my bike, keep going, don't worry about how bad it is. Like, But I think Phil Guyman made a really good point that like, pushing through discomfort is part of cycling, and it's a really admirable thing to be able to do. Hitting your head or something like that, like if you were mm -hmm. at a Nike race, and you have a really bad crash where you hit your head really hard and your helmet's cracked and you're seeing stars, maybe don't keep going. Like head injuries, take them very seriously. Like, you know, um, if, if you're just feel if you're not feeling good, you're having a bad day, your legs hurt and you pull out of a Nike race, like I think there's maybe something to be worked on there. No one will ever second guess you for pulling out because of a head injury. If you lose consciousness, if you don't remember how you got on the ground, if there's a loud ringing in your ears, if there's, I mean, go educate yourself on concussion stuff. But like, I did want to throw, that was an interesting conversation. You know, did want to throw that out. Coaches watch for that with your kids. Don't ever tell a kid who's just rung their bell to get back on and keep going. Like safety's number one priority and head injury should be taken seriously. Yeah, absolutely. Cause there's a difference between pushing through a really high perception of effort yeah. and pushing through like an actual injury yeah. where you're, and that kind of applies for any injury. If your arm's broken, probably don't finish the race. You know, yeah. like no race is worth that. I mean, maybe if you're going to win Olympic gold, but like yeah, other I mean, than that, Nike if is, you're low on glycogen and your legs aren't there that day, yeah. and, you know, you can push through that. But if, if you actually are injured or yeah, don't push through, don't that. push through that. Yeah. Yeah. No world news other than that. The, um, Paris 2024 Olympic test event, I think is today or in the next couple days. Um, that's a really interesting one to watch. They basically go and test out the course for the 2024 Olympics. And it's kind of an interesting chance to see who performs well on that course. So 
that'll be fun for next year. But uh, we, we, I want to dedicate some time to this topic today. So I think we're going to, we'll, we'll probably boogie on through uh, the news where there's not much going on. Um, Cause this is, I, I love talking about this. And, and I get, this is something I think a lot of people love to talk about. And I think maybe some people put probably too much emphasis on it. Some people put too much, but, but it a, is important. A lot of people aren't thinking. So like really quick. So I kind of, I think I want to title this episode, how to win a race once you've already done everything right. Um, which, cause like we're going to talk about race tactics today and you can't sit on the couch all season, show up to a, your first Nike race and tactics your way to a victory, but you can work really hard all year and kick your butt and then make some bad tactical choices that lose a race. I think, I think this is one of those things where like you can't win a race on tactics, but I do think you can lose one. Absolutely. And I think the level of, of youth competition is high enough these days. That like, I think in my day you could kind of just be the strongest and get on through. I think everyone's really strong right now. I think that there's, we're getting closer to a parody point where like, you know, people like racers like the Gibbons twins that are pretty consistently dominant, I think are becoming more and more rare. And I think we're seeing this at the top of end of the sport too. Like we had a period of time where there were three guys who won every single elite world cup for like five years or something crazy. I don't know that that'll happen again. I think the level of competition is high enough that you have a lot more people getting close to your potential ceiling. Like Dan talked about. Um, so this is something that I think will become increasingly important and worth considering. Uh, yeah, I, I think you said that really well, because yeah, it's obviously like, obviously you have to be, have really, really good fitness and really, really good nutrition to proactively race bikes, you know, right. Like, um, if those things aren't there, you're just, you're just kind of hanging on, you right. know, but, um, so yeah, obviously like all the other things we've talked about in all our other podcasts are you got to really kind of get those things dialed in. Cause I like how you said you can't just tactic your way to, to win a race. You know? Yeah. Um, but you know, like, like our sport, when you think about it, it's, it's really pretty simple. Um, well, I love what Alex Grant said that like the person who wins the race is the person who had the highest average speed. Yeah. Like, like mathematically. Yeah. Like basically like think of like trying to explain like, like, so one of, one of my least favorite things to do is play board games. And I remember yeah. I was like with a, like a, like some of my extended family and they got out this board game and they were explaining the rules, how to play. And it was just kind of like, I was just so lost. It was kind of going in one ear and out the other. And I'm like, I have no idea what these people are talking about, you know? And like anytime someone starts to explain a card game to me, I'm just like clueless. Like, yeah. I'm like, but like, yeah, mountain bike racing, basically who is, who's ever out on the course for the least amount of time gets first place. You yeah. Know? You know, it's, it's yeah. as simple as that. But the thing that makes it a little more complex is the fact that other people are showing up trying to do the same thing. Yeah. So that's kind of where the complexity comes in. Um, so that's where tactics come into play. Right. And yeah. So, you know, you kind of mentioned earlier, like, well, like I love your analogy of like road biking to mountain biking where you yeah. said, you want to just share that. So, so the analogy I use is that like various cycling disciplines will be more or less tactical. If road racing is chess, mountain bike racing is checkers. There's still strategy and you can't just blindly move whatever piece, but it is, it's not like if you're a super big road cycling fan, you don't need the level of, of tactical forethought and, and complexity that takes place in a road race. Like there's like, like Peloton dynamics and breakaways, like 
there's like a very basic version of that that kind of happens in a mountain bike race. But in a mountain bike race, you do not have a group of a hundred riders that are together all the time with five guys up ahead. You have groups of five or six riders at a time, and then maybe two people up at the front. And then maybe it's, you know, for a lot of the race, you're totally alone. So like, um, there is complexity, but again, we want to, we want to like, do not overthink this, but do think it is kind of the way I'd be like, just be aware of this, but don't be like, like if you're listening to this, like, Oh, well, you know, I need to draft off this guy. So I feel like I could go a lot faster, but I'm going to stick behind him to draft. Like, don't do that. Um, remember your goal is to have the highest overall speed. So with that in mind, we're going to give you some ways to get there. Yeah. Cause with, with cross country racing, like with, um, with road racing, you hear all the time that like not always the strongest person wins, which is a hundred percent true. In fact, a lot of times the strongest person doesn't win. Yeah. You know, it's usually the smartest person that wins. And with, with cross country racing, I would say typically is probably the, yeah. the person with the best fitness wins. And that's and, especially true at snow basin, you know, mm-hmm. or, or like snowbird. I think if it's just a really physical, slow speed course, but for Manti or yeah. St. George, if it's a big, flat, open course, there are tactics going on. Absolutely. So, yeah, in general, like your training consistency, your fueling and your nutrition, your state of mind, which we've been talking about a lot lately, and your skills are, are yeah, are, yeah, are probably the most important. But adding good tactics to that. Yeah is going to just make you even more awesome. It's and like having a great sauce on top of your steak. You know, your steak can be pretty darn good. You know, if you cook it properly, it'll be great. Yeah. But like, you can well, take it to the next level. Exactly. Little, I mean, this is... peppercorn sauce like, on your nice steak, Like, you if know? you're like getting sixth place and you really want to get on the podium, that's going to make... It could make the difference. You can tactic your way onto the podium if you're in the top 10, I think, which is kind of a... Yeah, I think that's, that's a brave thing to say, but I think, you know, like, you can't tactic your way from 40th to the podium. Well, maybe I don't know. You could be making yeah. big enough tactical. You know, if you've that. been if you've been coming in third place and you want to you want to get yeah. top step, you know, maybe it's, it's maybe possible. It's a, yeah, it's so, yeah. definitely we possible. Have, have we done enough disclaimers? I on... think we kind of have. Okay, yeah. so let's just dive in. So so okay, so I've got just some different aspects of of tactics that I want to talk about. Um, there's and and I don't want to go into too many because I don't want to just fill people's heads with yeah. so many different yeah, things. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, we'll keep this simple. We'll keep it really, really simple. And um, but the first one, and I think if you're new to the sport, it doesn't take long to figure this one out. That if your race is a mass start, a mass start race, the start is kind of everything. Yes, it's yeah. super, super important. No, like like the, the the local races I do, we start in a group of like ten or fifteen, yep. and you can kind of let them go, and you can catch them later and stuff, you know. But in like a national level race or a NICA race, when there's like eighty people in your field, getting up towards the front and starting at the front is kind of the name of the game, really. Yeah, it's, I, I think you can only really finish maybe ten or fifteen percent better than whatever you hit the single track at, like. If you hit the single track in 40th, I don't think you're winning that race. Yeah. If you're hitting the single track in 10th, you're probably okay. But like, you know, and this is kind of the problem for like for a lot of people that struggle with the start. You just kind of have to be able to do a big old crazy effort before the climb on the first lap, which sucks. But yeah. you cannot come in third to last and make your way up to the podium unless you're in a group of like 10 people. No, with the size of these fields, yeah. you've... And like the rule of thumb is you want to start where you want to finish. Roughly. Kind of roughly, you know, and that's, 
you basically want to get to that single track about where you're hoping to finish the race. Yeah. You know, so that's, I'd say that's probably the first and biggest thing to remember. Another thing I want to point out about the starts is they are super hard. It's probably the hardest thing you're ever going to do as a human being. They're super hard, Yep. but they don't last forever. No. And a lot of times, like I'll be starting and like people will be going this hard and you just think that that's how hard they're going to go the entire race. Yep. And it's not like no. they'll, everyone, you're not the only one that's tired. You're not the only one that's pushing hard. You're not the only one that's struggling. You're not the only one that's hating it. Yep. And they only last about a couple minutes. Yeah. It's, but it, it feels like an eternity. And something to throw out is somebody who used to struggle with starts. Cause I have a really good, I have really, really high power in Nike. Like that was never the problem. My problem was I never knew when to switch off start mode. Cause you kind of have to switch off start mode and get into consistent mode. You know, where like your race is an hour, maybe even an hour and a half long for the varsity guys. Um, a lot of guys I'd notice they wouldn't they wouldn't turn off start mode. They'd keep racing like it was the start and then they'll blow up. So you have to make a really intelligent decision. Like my place is secure. We're on the single track. Be able to dial it down. And if somebody's, you know, like. Yeah, because once you're on once you've got a position on a single track, you you kind of control that position. Like you yeah. really don't have to move unless if unless somebody wants not... to get around you do your best to accommodate them within reason, but it's really, it's, it's the passer's job yeah. to make the pass. Unless they're in a different division or something, That's true. but that yeah. we'll get to that later. Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, and the thing with these starts, like, like these starts don't help out your overall time. Like if you were going to do this course as a time trial, yeah, you would not start out that way. That's going to actually ultimately slow you down. Yeah. But positioning is so critical in mountain bike racing that it's an investment you have to make. You've got to burn a few matches to, to get a good position to, to really yep. have a chance. So, um, so, but I do think, you know, like, like probably one of the most important things is starts is like to not blow up, you know, cause I know a lot of kids that just go too hard and they, they can't quite get to the single track before they blow up or, um, and so that's why I think just knowing the course, like I always, whenever I pre-ride, I always time the start. So I can kind of know the like, yeah, this is a three minute effort or this is a two minute effort. And I kind of know what I can sustainably do for that long, you know, so that when you finally get to the single track, you're like, you're pretty spent, but you're not, you didn't blow up, you know? Right. Did they let in NICA with like call ups, do they let you choose where you line up or do you just, no, you just up? line up where they, where okay, they put exactly. you? If you're ever, in, and I'll just throw this out really quick. Like I remember my state champ senior year, we started at the old St. George course and the right half of the road was just rutted up and sandy. And the left half was like pavement smooth. And like the smart guys were like, yeah, they get their call up and they go to the left side. So like, like Dan said, this is the value of pre-rides, you know, know that like I want to be on the inside line when we hit the single track. So maybe if you, if you can try to work your way over to the right a little bit or try to start to, if you can't, it's fine. It's not the end of the world, but the start is critical. So that's a really good point. Cause yeah. you want, you do really want to get a smooth, fast line on the start. Yep. And sometimes you have to work to get there, but yeah. that's a really good. And then one more thing, just, I, I have to throw out, don't crash or cause a crash. Like it's not like a, don't do anything stupid. Like don't, if you're on the left and you want to be on the right, that sucks. Like may, sometimes you're not going to be able to pull sometimes that off. Sometimes you do have to hold your line and watch, you know, like when you, when you drive, they, you learn defensive driving, assume everyone's an idiot and that they're going to cut your wheel and that somebody's going to swerve. Be really careful. Don't be involved in a crash. Cause if you're involved in a crash at the beginning of an Ica race, that's, it's kind of your day over. 
And so you like, ruin it for a lot of people too. Yeah. So don't, and, and don't, and like writing control, like don't use too much English where you're throwing your, your oh, yeah. yeah, you don't need to like, if your front wheels go in like four feet in each direction, when you're sprinting, you're sprinting inefficiently and you look dumb. Don't do that. Yeah. You know, be careful, be safe. It's not worth hurting anyone is the last thing I'd want to throw in. So that I don't note. think it's really news to anyone that the start's important. I think yeah. that's something most people get. Yep. But, um, you know, one, one thing I will throw out there and this kind of leads me in the next one is, is like, if you can, I think, I think drafting on the start is a really good tactic. You know, like, you know, you want to get to the single track roughly where you want to finish, yeah. but getting there first place, unless you're way fitter than everyone else in the field, usually that person doesn't win the race. Yeah. And, and I think that being able to draft on the start is a really smart way to try to save some energy. So like, Oh, okay, go so ahead. really quick. Like we talk about drafting. So well, and that's the next thing we're talking about. We can, we're yeah. Okay. Number one was the start. Number two okay. is we're actually going to talk about okay. drafting. So and, and drafting, we're, it's a conversation we're having about aerodynamics, which I think if you're, if you've been in the cycling world, especially where a lot of it's centered around the road cycling world, like you hear people talk about arrow all the time or arrow bikes or arrow helmets. Um, I think there was a time when aerodynamics weren't considered in mountain bike racing, but they are now. And Dan and I were actually talking about this the other day while we driving up to Park City to ride, um, that both of us used to kind of ride off arrow and we don't anymore. And the biggest factor in aerodynamics is not your bike or your helmet or your skin suit, it's your position and the person in front of you. Um, and so when we talk about drafting, if you're not familiar, Drafting means riding behind someone and essentially letting them cut through the wind for you. And it is a huge deal. It is, it's really the principle that road racing, or at least modern road racing, kind of revolves around is aerodynamics and drafting. That's why there are teams in road cycling. Um, yeah, like, like the air that we're in has mass. Yeah. And it has to kind of get out of our way as we're riding yeah, through we, it. We don't exist in a vacuum. Yeah. You're constantly swimming through air. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's just like when you're trying to walk through a swimming pool, you know, it's yeah. really hard to walk through a swimming pool because like you're, the water has to move around you right. for you to get through. And it, the air is the same way. And um, and and the thing with, with aerodynamics is like the faster you're going, it has like an exponential relationship with how important aerodynamics becomes, you know. Right. And so something you'll want to remember and kind of even like look down at your speedometer mm -hmm. when you're riding is anything above, we'll, we'll say about nine miles an hour, aerodynamics starts to become more of an issue. Right. And it, again, as you get faster and faster and faster, it gets, it gets more, it and gets more and more exponentially. Yeah. Like, like, so if you're going 20 miles an hour, it's a huge deal. So I mentioned at the beginning of the show, Snow Basin. If you've never raced there, Snow Basin is famous for that one hill, the, the start hill, right? It's probably a five to seven minute effort for most kids. I'd spitball. Oh, I'd say more than that more for than most that kids. For most yeah. kids. And it's, it's pretty steep. You're going three or four miles an hour. Aerodynamics doesn't really matter. Like not, we, a, not a bit. Like I was climbing the snowbird Widowmaker climb yesterday. Aerodynamics does not matter. But again, like most, most Nike courses these days, the, the varsity guys are probably doing 12, 13, maybe 15 miles an hour. So maybe, we had I mean, kids on more. our Manti pre-ride that were averaging 16 miles an hour. Are you serious? Okay. So we're maybe getting into the, in the race mode, you're maybe looking at 20 miles an hour for a lot of this. Not, not an average, but they're going to be pedaling at 25 miles an hour at some yeah. points during the race. So like, for instance, um, 
I did the start road, which is Manti is a pretty big, steep start road. It's a pretty, it's a pretty grueling climb. And I rode it with one of our best riders, a really top rider. And like I was struggling, I, I really couldn't keep up, but I looked down at my speed and the slowest we did that climb was about the slowest we ever got was about 11 miles an hour. Okay. And a lot of it we were doing about 16 miles an hour up that climb. Okay. So arrow is a huge deal there. Yeah. So on the start arrow would be like, yeah, it, it's definitely a consideration, you know? Um, so typically like in a Peloton, someone in the Peloton could be going the same speed as whoever's at the front of the pack. Right. At about 40% less effort. Yes. So let me say that it was 40%. No, that like That's, a Peloton's different than if you're just yeah. falling behind one person, you know, yeah. like a Peloton's kind of the ideal right. set, set of circumstances. That's right. kind of like the maximum drafting benefit in a mountain bike race. I would say that the drafting is going to have between a zero and I emphasize zero yeah. to maybe 20% which is still huge. It's still huge. Yeah. But just know that like that some places, the benefits absolutely zero. Yeah. And could be costing you and other places, you know, if you're going on a fairly flat road with a little bit of a headwind and you're going 25 miles an hour, it could be like about a 20% energy savings. And, and the thing is that number I'm making up because nobody really knows, like you can really only study aerodynamics in like a wind tunnel. You can't really study it on a dirt road with rocks and right and wind and crosswinds and you know right. so so that's just kind of a guess but it is it's it's something to consider for sure so in the real world we're t- okay drafting's important so like get, like the hypothetical situation um, I think we're dealing with is like um, you are riding and there's three guys you're with like that's common you know groups of four five six is pretty common on these big open courses right um, if you're like, okay, I've pre-ridden this course a bunch of times. I did eight laps last Saturday. I know how long we're going to be on this flat section for five or six minutes or this climb for five or six minutes, right? Where we're going to be going 20-ish miles an hour. The best thing to do is be maybe in the middle to near the middle back of the group. Sometimes being the very last wheel can kind of be tricky, but even that, like kind of stay back in the group. And then once you're getting close to the single track, put in your effort, get back to the front, be at the front in the single track, but let people pull you around. And I think the tricky bit here is trying to decide when should I draft and when should I pass? Because what you don't want to do is be like, okay, well, there's someone in front of me and I'm drafting off of them, but I'm in like zone two. Like I'm not even breathing. This is super easy. In that case, break off on your own. Go yeah. ahead. Don't be afraid to if you're way stronger. But if you and this other guy have been going back and forth and, and, and you know, like, she's been finishing third, you've been finishing fourth, like you guys are, are pretty evenly matched, let her pull, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I say you got to use drafting judiciously because yeah. I've seen kids try to draft off kids that are way slower than yeah. them and it just makes them go slower. Yeah. You know, I mean, really the ideal thing would be drafting off someone that's actually kind of pushing you a little bit while you're in your draft. Cause you know, they're, right. they're pushing way harder than you are. Yeah. They're getting more tired. But right behind them, not next to them. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so you, and so use drafting judiciously. Like, like if you're, if you're riding behind someone and you're drafting and, and it's not hard at all and they're slowing you down, you need to get around them and yep. you're, you're going to be faster off on your own. So you just mm-hmm. got to use Do whatever's going to make you faster. Yeah. 
if they're making you faster, if it's helping you go faster than you would on your own, stay with them. Now, this is where it gets tricky and this is where you have to make good decisions because there are some times where, you know, maybe you, you're like, I could go a little faster than this on this flat, but I know that we're coming up to the climb, right? Or like, uh, you know, like this, this is a flat, like there was like Eagle Mountain, like I'm on a really long flat bit of road here, but I know there's a climb coming. So it might behoove me to save my energy just a little bit with this kid who, again, you're close to, not someone you're way faster than, but someone you're close to. And then um, you're like, I'm going to save some energy here, draft, and then put in my effort on the climb. Yeah. So like so, yeah, I said, you have ju- be judicious. Do judicious. Make, yeah. And just know the benefits between zero and maybe 20%. Yeah. And those are totally made up numbers. But and that's the thing you need to know, because sometimes there's no benefits at all. Like if you're going up a steep climb, there's zero benefits. If it's technical, there's zero benefits. If it's really windy, there's probably not a lot of benefit. If there's a crosswind, there's not a lot of benefit. Um, If they're slowing you down, if you're like riding in zone two and and your group, there's a group ahead getting away. There's no benefit in drafting off that person. So just use it judiciously because the, the next thing I want to go into, which I think is more important than drafting ultimately is positioning, right? You know, um, yeah, ultimately positioning's just one of the key tactics in yeah. cross country mountain bike racing, because yes. like, you know, a cross country course, obviously you've got some roads with some single tracks, you know, and, um, is so like with, with your drafting, ideally, you know, you would be kind of like if, if there's kind of a flat section, you would be draft like a flat kind of roadish type section. You kind of be drafting there. But once you get to like a descent, that's where you really would want to lead yeah. down a descent. Yeah. Because like, you know, if you can make a move right before descent and lead down the descent, you've got two advantages. Like one, if you're faster, that person's not going to slow you down. Right. And then, but if you're a slower descender, you kind of own the trail and they kind of have to stick to your pace there. So, um, where if they want to pass, that's a difficult thing that they're going to have to do that takes energy. And on the flip side, if you guys should know your competitors by now, if, if you're racing Bobby and you know that you've ridden with Bobby and Bobby is a slower descender than you, don't let Bobby hit the single track before you do. Make sure you're ahead of Bobby on the single track so that you can you can be getting a gap on him. Yeah. You know? But I would say in general, it almost always makes sense to try to lead on descent. Well, that's what I'm saying. In both cases, Bobby, it's better for Bobby to be ahead of you. It's better for you to be ahead of Bobby. You know, like um, it's I think it's worth burning a couple matches to get, um, if not to the lead, as far up as you can in the group. Because uh, the other thing is on descent, if someone crashes and you're behind them, like that's yeah. costing you time it might even make you crash too. So there's no reason to like deliberately fall behind on a descent or something like drafting on the descent doesn't really make sense. So draft where it makes sense and lead where you want to control. Like another example is if you're coming up in a technical section, Yep. you know, like it's better to lead through those and, and, and not draft through those. So that's where like, um, just kind of knowing the course really, really well and knowing the places where, you know, maybe tucking in behind someone would make sense and know where to start kind of making your moves to, you know, to get ahead of whoever before you, you get into like a single track descent. I think that's, that's just super important to know, to, to be familiar with. So, um, yeah, so positioning is really kind of, I would say were most of the tactics in cross country racing 
take place. Just knowing the course, knowing where you want to lead and where it helps to just kind of tuck in. Yeah, it's like where is it worth it to burn some matches to be in the position I want? And then if it's if it's that big five minute road, it's really easy. Positions will change up a ton. Don't be like burning a ton of matches to be in in first or in second. But maybe burn some matches at the very top of the climb before you hit the descent to be where you want yeah. to be. So. And, and typically on climbs too, like if you're on a road climb, um, most people feel like if you go, like a lot of times you'll go down a single track descent and there'll be a road at the bottom that you climb up. Yep. Everyone feels really good at the end of the, the single track descent and they feel really good at the bottom of the climb. Everyone starts making their moves there. I think where the, the more effective moves are made is at the top of the climbs you know, at the top of the road climbs and so forth. And can I throw one more thing out there really sure. quick? And this, I think, I think mostly happens with the less experienced riders. I think once you get to varsity, people know themselves pretty well and they know what attacks they can sustain. So for the varsity racers listening to this, if someone puts an attack, like believe it, that's probably something that they can sustain. I think it's unlikely that you have top end varsity racers writing checks that they can't cash in the attacking department. If you're in sophomore, if you're racing people who've been racing mountain bikes for a year or two, don't panic if somebody puts in some apocalyptic, crazy effort, like on, on like the last, like I remember Eagle Mountain, I don't know if they still race there, but like the, the finishing road was like a 4% climb for like a mile. It was a really long, kind of steep road. And I remember there were kids um, who would put in these insane digs at the beginning of that that they just couldn't sustain so i think maybe if you're if you're junior diva if you're freshman sophomore jvc like maybe think about whether or not an attack is legit like is it really likely this kid's gonna be able to keep up this pace if you're in varsity i would say assume they are um and follow it if you can is one thing and then the other thing i'd throw out i remember the, the guy who kind of got us into the skyline team uh lakota and I, i've talked about this tactic before like attack in unconventional places like he said his favorite place to attack was at the top of a climb because psychologically everyone feels like they're going to be getting a break at the top of the climb. Like, Oh, if I can just get to the top, I can breathe. Think about how like psychologically devastating that's going to be for your competition when you mm -hmm. force them to ride another check at the top of that climb. So like be unconventional and, and think about the kind of psychological aspect of what your competitors are, are going through as well. And the last thing I want to say on positioning is um, in general, you know, if you're racing and you come up and catch another rider in general, that's because that person's going slower than you yeah. are. You need, you know, don't just, I wouldn't probably just start drafting off that person. Probably, probably I'd, pass them. Probably pass them. Yeah. You know, get around them if, if, cause yeah, if you catch someone, you're going faster. So, um, that was the last thing on that. I wanted to throw out the, the next thing I want to talk about, and this is a marginal gain, you know, and, I think a lot of the things we're talking about here are marginal gains, but the thing with marginal gains is if you get enough of them together, they become somewhat maximal, you know? So, yeah. Um, I do want to just talk a little bit about aerodynamics, not a huge deal, but it kind of is a deal. And especially at a race like Manti. Yeah. Aerodynamics is, and especially for the varsity racers where they're going real quick. Yeah. You know, and the JVA and the, yeah. yeah, like, um, so with aerodynamics and, and we're, I'm actually coming, I'm getting ready to do an entire podcast on aerodynamics. I don't want to get too deep into this cause it's a big topic. It's oh, yeah. super cool. Super hairy. Um, but basically there's three forces we're trying to overcome. There's, there's gravity and there's, uh, there's air resistance and rolling resistance. You know, we've, we've talked about like our tires 
help minimize rolling resistance. We talked about like tire pressure, like in a mountain bike, lower tire pressure gives you lower, you know, lower rolling resistance. Um, you know, if you're climbing a hill, you're trying to overcome gravity, but like, like a bike, and this is really super interesting is at about seven miles an hour on a road bike, your rolling resistance and the wind resistance are like equal. Oh, in, t- in, in terms of how important they are, basically? Is, is, is your effort to get through them. Oh, the, okay. The, yeah, it takes about the same amount of effort to get through the wind resistance as it is the rolling resi- right. resistance. Beyond that point, your effort is mainly wind resistance. Yeah. Air resi- you know, getting getting your body through the air. Yeah. Um, so, like, and, and it gets exponentially harder. Like, going from, like, one mile an hour to two mile an hour isn't a big deal going from like 25 miles an hour to 28 miles an hour is a huge deal. deal, Yeah. You know? And so the faster you're going exponentially, the more important aerodynamics is And like, and, and at this race, you guys are going fast enough where aerodynamics is a deal. Yeah. You know, so, um, so just a few things about that, like, you know, you need to wear a kit that's tight. Like yep. if your kit has a wrinkle in it, like can make a huge difference. A, wrin- a wrinkle might be a watt. Yeah. And a bunch of wrinkles is 10 watts. Like a tight kit versus a, versus a loose kit can be huge. Like I remember just a quick story. Like one time I was riding with some buddies, we rode up a Brighton and then we were riding down the Canyon road a little bit. I was the only one wearing Lycra. They were wearing kind of bro clothes and I bro clothes, yeah. you know, and we start going down the Canyon and they start like tucking and trying to go like they drop their dropper post and we're just trying to go. Yeah. And, and I'm like, Oh, so I start tucking and I just flew past them. Like yeah. none of us were pedaling. I just flew past them, yep. get to the bottom. They're like, man, you must have really good hubs. Nope. I'm like, Nope. I was aerodynamic. Yeah. And you you had were... a helmet without a visor and a kit that fit properly. Yeah. Yeah. And I should say too, that like in, in like people, and you might even be kind of into cycling aware of like, Aero bikes and aero wheels and, and skin suits and aero helmets and everything. The most important part of the aero package is your position. Like I heard one time, and I'm going to misquote these numbers, here, but a guy from Specialized was like, in the wind tunnel, it's like 80 or 90% body and like 10 or 20% bike, right? Um, so like if you are on a really fast flat section, maybe even a slight downhill, don't be sitting uh, like all the way up where your whole torso is a sail, like like what if you're look, like get a speedometer or you get a speed field on your garment if you're going 20 be tucked a little bit like not enough that it's going to affect your ability to put out power yeah. but don't be sitting like all all the way up you know like you see a lot of like like i would say like nike dads but, riding on their bikes where they're like totally sitting their backs completely straight that might be more comfortable you know and if you're going five miles an hour that's fine if you're yeah. going eight miles an hour that's probably, that's probably fine. fine if you're going 15 you might want to like lower your profile a little bit yeah. if it doesn't affect your power yep because ultimately yeah. mountain biking power is more important but right but yeah, so long as is if you can do that same power, be as tucked as possible without affecting your power, basically. And it's the same thing with drafting. Like, be as close as you can to that rider without overlapping wheels or buzzing their tire. Like, you know, don't don't do anything stupid in the name of aero, but do whatever you can that's smart in the name of yeah. being as aerodynamic as possible. Yeah. So we're gonna talk a lot about aerodynamics soon, but just just a few things is like your position, yeah, your a tight fitting kit, like where the tightest kit you've got. Yep. Um, and then like, you know, a big thing is like your legs, you know, I was just gonna say, I'm sorry. It, it actually, like, I, I honestly think on the Manti course, 
that hairy legs could slow you down a measurable amount. I, I've I've heard as high as ten watts for shaved legs. Granted, that was in a, like a time trial triathlon sort of environment. Well, in like a time trial, it actually would put someone on the podium in mid pack, like if their legs aren't shaved. Yeah, like it's so it's, you know what consider it. Yeah, it's yeah. Um, you know, and, and I think at like Snow Basin, it probably that won't ma- wouldn't matter. But I think at like Manti or probably at the state course or something, Saint George, it, Eagle it Mountain, even most. like even a clean bike is faster. Oh my than, gosh! Don't show up on a muddy bike. Yeah, like if your bike's not clean, it's it's like it doesn't slide through the air as fast. It's yeah, um, yeah. So you know, we could do a lot on aerodynamics. That's all we've got. Well, that's all we're going to talk about today. But just consider it. You know. Yeah. I mean, and again, we'll have a whole episode on this. So yeah, yeah. Um, Hold your breath for that. I, I've mentioned we've talked about pre rides a lot before. You know, um, I, I've told this story before. Like one time, we had a Nike race at Corner Canyon, and at that race, like every single podium was just full of Corner Canyon kids who had never won before and had never won again. Yep. Like, but they were just so familiar with the terrain that they could just fly through it really efficiently. They knew all the lines. They knew how to gauge their efforts. Yeah. Um, yeah. Being familiar with, we've talked about a lot, but it, it's super important. Like to go on this um, Manti pre-ride yesterday, I was actually initially planning a big epic ride in Park City and that I just thought would be so much fun. But would I'm have like, been really cool. I'm like, you know what? I know this is going to benefit the kids. So yeah. we went out to Manti instead. But um, yeah, just, just have the course dialed in so you know how to gauge your efforts. You know how long the start's going to be. You know the smooth, fast lines. I mean like picking up a little teeny bit of speed here, a little teeny bit of speed here, doing this one smoother with less effort, knowing how long it, the climb is, it all is going to add up to like a half a minute by the end of the, I mean, it could, yeah. which is huge, you know? Oh but, yeah. Um, knowing that like there's this one tricky corner that a lot of people are going to slide off on, like knowing I want to be on the right or on the left side of the trail here. Like, yeah, it just anything you can do to minimize uncertainty is going to help you. Yeah. So again, just a few things and kind of wrapping up here. Like, um, you know, we mentioned at the beginning, like fitness and fueling and all those things makes it so these tactics can be really effective. You know, like you go to like a lot of the national races. You know, like the bear team can kind of just control the race. You know, because but they couldn't do that if they weren't didn't have a certain level of fitness, you know, um, it, it really makes it so you can race, re, race proactively and just not have to react to everything. Um, but again, like don't overthink the tactics. I've, I've talked to kids. I've heard their like pre-race plan. They've got it like everything like mapped out, like where they're going to attack and where they're going to, and that's, it's good to like think through those things and be aware of those things, but just know that like it might not always go to plan. And, and I, I know I've told this story before, but um, for work one time we had a member of SEAL Team 6 come speak to us and he was the one that actually... Oh, really? He was the one that actually shot Osama oh, bin Laden. Oh, I've, I've heard of this guy, yeah. Yeah, and and he was telling us about this mission and and it was just fascinating. But the, the thing he said that really, really fascinated me the most was that he's like, you know, we came to there and we did not have a plan. yeah. And I'm like, oh, you, you would think that would just be plan. He's like, yeah, we didn't have a plan because we didn't know exactly what was going to happen, but we were prepared for yes. anything. 
Like they had made like a model of yeah. Osama bin Laden's house. I read a book on and, this one time. And they, um, you know, they had like this based on like architect predictions of what the house would be like inside. Yeah. Like they had gone through like every scenario possible. So they really didn't have a plan, but they were prepared for anything. And that's really like how you have to approach a race. You well, know, I was going like, to say that you, you have no idea what's going to happen in the race, but you have to be prepared to make good judgment calls based on what is happening in the moment. Like, like you could have this person that, you know, you're like, you're usually like neck and neck with trying to stick to their wheel. They could show up and have like a terrible day and you were planning on drafting off them the whole day long. Yeah. And they're having a terrible day. They didn't, they like have a stomach bug or something, you know? And yeah, like, yeah, your plan just changed all of a sudden, you know? And so, but you know, if you're, if you're kind of familiar with some of these principles, you, you, ha you still have the tact, you kind of have like this bag of tricks you can show up with the, the race and use them as you need to. And, and, you know, you gotta you just have your head in the game the whole time and do, do smart things throughout the race. And it's going to, because I, I had a race, and I know we're getting close on time here, but like I had a race at the beginning of the year, the uh, Red Rock at St. George, where I it was a small group. Really, it was like a two and a half hour long race. It was super, super long. I was on my own for like the last half. You know, guys were way ahead of me. Guys were way behind me, right? So I was kind of at the point where I'm like, I just need to time trial through, keep it consistent, don't blow up. And I got to the last two or three minutes of the race, and a guy caught me. Um, uh, totally charging through it. In that moment, I was like, I, I've got to adjust my plan. I, I have to do a big old effort. I wasn't planning on it at the end. And I was like, you know what? This guy seems to be catching me. I think my, the best thing to do is let him catch me and then try to do a tactically smart sprint. You know, I was like, I'm going to bluff a little bit. I'm going to start the sprint way too early. I'm going to hope he bites and he starts sprinting too early. I'm going to hop on his wheel until the last hundred meters. And then as soon as I see any weakness, I'll jump, right? So it's like, you have to be ready. I could not have planned for... Anderson catching me at the end of the race, right? But I'm like, I he's there, and I have to be ready to make a decision um, in the moment based on that. So it's kind of like I actually really like that, you know, because you like mountain bike racing is unpredictable. It's a super crazy, sloppy, chaotic sort of event. You can't plan on anything, um, but know who your competitors are, know what their strengths and weaknesses are, um, and, and just know a few good tactics and a few good, so you can just make good racing judgment calls while you're out there. Yeah. Um, Last thing I wanted to talk about real quick, and, and and I wouldn't say these are real tactical things. These are things we kind of talk about a lot, but I think, you know, a lot of you are probably drive, listening to this while you're driving to Manti to go race or whatever. You yeah. Know? Um, but, but, you know, I, I was really kind of touched at the last race. I saw a lot of kids taking Sharpie markers and writing TBY on their legs upside down so they could read them. And I just thought that was so cool. And I just wanted to remind kids real quick what that means it it really just means that you know that no matter what's happening during a race you're always giving your best effort regardless of whether you're in first place or last place you just you're just digging deep and giving your best effort and not really caring about what other people think or what other people are doing you're just digging deep and giving your best effort and I really think that if you're doing that, you deserve to finish that race happy. And there's my biggest goal with anyone racing isn't really what place you get ultimately. It's that you finish that race happy knowing that you gave it your absolute best effort. Because here's the big because is if you do give your absolute best effort, it's you'll be surprised at what you can accomplish. 
because we're all capable of so much more than we give ourselves credit for, mm-hmm. you know, and I just want us to really, you know, I think the ultimate tactic of all really is just no matter what happens, don't ever give up. It's always too early to give up. Just keep digging deep. Just keep pushing because you never know what's going to happen. You never know who's, who's, you know, a quarter mile up the field blowing up that you could catch, you know, and if you had given up, you wouldn't be able to catch that person. And, you know, like, like in racing, you know, like there are always going to be dark times and there's always going to be exciting adrenaline filled times, you know, and those dark times don't last forever. You know, you're going to have dark times during the race, but you're also going to feel awesome during the race. But no matter what happens, just really, you know, just kind of find what you're made of and, and keep pushing, you know, that's, there you go. All right. So there's a climb off the ladder there, Dan, like talked about last week. Um, (laughs) But yeah, um, enjoy it. Have fun racing. Don't dread it. Um, Do your best. Like I I can tell you as somebody who's a few years removed from NICA, the particular spot where you finish won't haunt you or help you the rest of your life. You know, it's, it's uh, um, have a good time with it. Work hard, be safe. Like we said at the beginning, don't do anything stupid. And one more time, I'm sorry the audio wasn't great this week. We will uh, spend this week trying to figure out how to make it sound a little better and more consistent for you guys. But if you stuck, uh, if you stuck through it and you're still listening to this, thank you for putting up with it. And uh, we will be back next week with a uh, recap of Manti because I'm actually really interested to see how that goes for our division. And um, uh, please share uh, any tactical wins you have. We loved hearing about everyone's goals and stuff. Um, I'd love to have some examples of good tactics that people used and it paid off. Or if you made a really bad tactical mistake, we'd still love to hear about it so we can dissect it. So feel free to send those to Dan. We're always interested in hearing about those. Um, Be safe this week. Uh, Go ride somewhere pretty with some fall colors. Enjoy that. Don't have crashes. Stay healthy. And uh, we will talk to you in seven days.